So the reading today is from Luke 11. It's on page 1042 in the Bibles and the um, seats in front of you. So when Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. Then the Lord said to him, Now then, you Pharisees, clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people, did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But... As for what is inside you, be generous to the poor, and everything will be clean for you. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you have the most imp- you crave the most important seats in the synagogue and respectful greetings in the marketplace. Woe to you, because you're like unmarked graves, which people walk over without even knowing it. One of the experts in the law answered him, Teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. Jesus replied, And you experts in the law, woe to you, because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. Woe to you, because you build tombs for the prophets, and it was your ancestors who killed them. So you testify that you approve of what your ancestors did. They killed the prophets, and you build their tombs. Because of this, God in his wisdom said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and others they will persecute. Therefore, this generation will be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets that have been shed since the beginning of the world. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible for it all. Woe to you exports in the law, because you've taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered and you've hindered those who were entering. When Jesus went outside, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to oppose him fiercely and to besiege him with questions, waiting to catch him out in something that he might say. Good morning again. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would open our eyes and our hearts to understand you better today as we consider this question of why not religion. And I do pray, help us to see clearly the difference between religion and following Jesus. We ask in his name. Amen. Well, if you are here for the first time or haven't been here for a couple of weeks, we're in the second week of a series called Why Not? And in this series, we're wanting to ask the question, why not atheism? We looked at that last week. Uh, Why not this week? No religion. Next week, why not Buddhism? Week after, why not Islam? And all of these questions relate to what are the big world views and, if I can say, religious ideas that we're confronted with here in Manly. And today's question is, why not no religion? 
And I think it's a very, not just good question, but a very significant question to ask, uh, particularly at this time. We're in the middle of uh, what the Commonwealth Government has been running, a Royal Commission into Sexual Abuse of Children. And no doubt the scope of the investigation has been very broad in terms of the organisations that have been under the microscope, but one of the particular organisations that we can't shy away from is Ask the Church. And there's been some very telling moments over these last couple of years some very difficult questions that church leaders have had to answer. And so it's very pertinent that we come today and ask the question, well, why not no religion? Because I'm sure in this context, it's a question people are asking. And if you read the newspapers or watch TV, stories on religion are typically negative. Now, I tend to have a kind of a keener radar on this issue as a minister. Uh, one of the things that often I take note of is uh, what is the portrayal of the minister like in the movies or the TV shows? And typically, they're not kind of virile men who are role models, who as a bloke you think, gee, I just want to be like that guy. <laughs> um, it's often with embarrassment, and you'll see them on the BBC, kind of the, the quaint, quirky, kind of almost emasculated figure. And you think, gee, that's not kind of a guy that I aspire to be like. And to be honest, when I grew up, uh, that was my experience of church and ministers. And so religion is a question, and no religion, that we've got to engage with. Now, it's worth saying, if I was to have done this series uh, 15, 20 years ago, and I remember we looked at a series on kind of the major worldviews, this question of no religion is not one that we thought about. Now, let me explain why. Uh, when you look at the Australian censor data, and every five years the Australian Bureau of Statistics, um, employed by the government, does the census. And one of the questions that they ask people is, what is your religious background? You can get the data. And being new to Manly... And after we'd done the 2011 census, I was very curious to see what the figures were. And what you find is this. When you go back in our history post-World War II, very, very few people said they had no religion in the, uh, the national census. Only 0.3%. Now, post, if I can say, and during the Vietnam War era, uh, the wheels began to change. 1971, 7% were recorded in the census as saying that they had no religion. You come to the 90s, and if I can say, um, the movement has grown in terms of people walking away from organised religion, 17%. And it's roughly like that today, 2011, the figure was 18% here in New South Wales. Now, what's striking, though, and it just jumped off the page when I looked at it, here in Manly in particular, and it's also true of Fairlight, we are almost double the state average. In fact, it's the largest group of people here in Manly. They tick, we have no religion. And so we need to ask the question, if I can put it this way, as we live in this community, as we welcome people in, a lot of people are saying, actually, when I think about religion, I don't want to be a part of it. And what are we to respond to? Why not no religion? Well, let me start by asking the question, what actually is religion? That's a good question to ask. Now, I went to a dictionary to define it because I didn't want to define it myself. I wanted to see if I could say what our culture defines religion as. And the Webster Dictionary says this, it's a belief in a God or a group of gods. 
Uh, it's an organised system of beliefs, ceremonies and rules used to worship a god or a group of gods. It could be an interest, a belief or an activity that is very important to a person or a group of people. And so you've got some common things. Uh, obviously, it's a belief in beyond the material world. You believe in the supernatural. There's a god or gods. It's organised. There's a group of people. And there tends to be rules and regulations attached to it. And so if that's what religion is, why not no religion? Well, a third of our local area is saying we don't want a part of that. Now, it's worth saying this. And one of the guys who's done the kind of heavy hitting and hard work on this is a bishop from Canberra, was the bishop for the armed forces, Tom Frame. And he wrote a book on Australian religion called Losing My Religion. And this is what he said about people who tick this box, no religion. He said, it's not atheism or even agnosticism. Uh, The reality is statistically, atheists are actually a very small minority of our society. They're a very loud group, disproportionately loud for the number they are, but actually a very small group. Most people have some sort of faith or belief. And when the census data is collected, people identify themselves, if I can say, as no religion, not meaning atheism or agnosticism. And he says, what no religion appears to be is this, people who possess some sort of belief in the supernatural or spiritual or non-materialist beliefs, in other words, you think there's more to the world than just the material existence of this world, Uh, they might attend religious events and ceremonies, but they wouldn't see themselves as belonging in any way to a recognised denomination or faith. They could be people who believe, but they don't belong anywhere. And faith typically is personal and private. I'm sure you know many of them. You may be here today and you've just wandered in. What defines them is that they are not religious in the sense that they have distanced themselves from traditional and organised religious groups and faith. And so why not? Why not be part of this large throng of people who don't want to have a bar of organised religion? After all, aren't religions the cause of so many problems? Aren't religions just full of self-righteous people who want to impose their religion on everyone? Now, what I want to do is something different to what I normally do. I'd normally at this point get you to get your Bibles out and we'd work our way through a passage or we'd have a look at some different passages and hear what God has to say. But I want to start by saying what we need to do is actually hear what the world has to say to us. Uh, Because you can't escape from the fact that we're part of a church that's part of a denomination, that has been in Australia since the establishment of the Commonwealth. And from the beginning, when Captain Cook came over, Anglicans have been here from the very beginning, where, if you might say, at the centre of the establishment. And so we actually need to stop and ask the question, why do they think this? And what I want to do is go back in time to three philosophers. Uh, You'll probably know their names, though I suspect not everyone's familiar with their writings, though some of the quotes you'll be familiar with. And there have been three guys in history who have devastatingly critiqued religion. And they did in their day, but it's worth saying what they critiqued in their day has become part of our current culture in our day. And so I'm going to finish with a fourth modern philosopher from our day that I'm sure most of us are familiar with. And it's worth saying, before we have a look at their critique, whether you are a believer or not here today... It's critical that we don't resist what the secular critics of religion say about religion. In other words, don't have your back up 
I want you to have your guard down and I want you to feel the weight of the criticisms of religion and actually start to understand why people, so many, don't want a bar of organised religion here in the country and particularly here in Manly. And then we're going to look at Jesus. And it's worth saying he was the harshest of critics when it came to religion. And when you listen to Jesus, he deconstructed religion savagely, repeatedly and relentlessly. But unlike people from the modern world, he had a different motivation in critiquing religion. He wasn't wanting to just put down what he saw, but rather clear the ground for his message, which is actually profoundly different to religion. And we're going to land there at the end and actually reflect on what is the message of Christianity in comparison to religion. And so if you're a Christian here today, it's so important that we hear the critique of religion because it's so easy to easily lapse into religion instead of what Jesus called his followers in his faith. But if you're here today and you're not sure if you're a believer or not or a Christian or not, it's really important you also hear the critique and understand the critique of religion so that you don't miss the distinction between what it means to follow Jesus and what we're on about here at St Matthews and what religion is because they're vastly different we're not on about religion here I'm not on about religion I'm on about Jesus well let me introduce the first philosopher I'm sure you're familiar with him Sigmund Freud now he's a very well-known figure a towering figure in terms of western philosophy And Freud is known for his psychoanalytic perspective when he viewed religion. And what he said was, uh, religion is, if I can say, a product of the unconscious mind's need for wish fulfilment. And so religion is used psychologically to justify your behaviour. Now there's a quote there on the screen, religion is comparable to a childhood neurosis. It's like a kind of a mental illness that children have that they grow out of. And that's what he thought religion was. Very childlike, you kind of need it to cope in the world. You use it to justify your behaviour. But hopefully you grow up out of it. Now I'm going to give you an illustration to illustrate. Now I'm not going to go into detail on each of these philosophers, we haven't got the time. But I wonder who's seen the Godfather movie. Some of you may some might want not to admit that you've seen it but anyway it's all right Uh, I haven't seen it I just saw the end of it there's a very poignant scene at the end which epitomizes what Freud talks about here that you use your religion to justify your behavior and there's no doubt this happens now if you know the movie The Godfather it's got a very powerful closing scene of two baptisms one is with water and one is with blood and they just switch between the two very clever cinematography on the one hand there is a baptism happening in a church and the godfather Michael Coloni is literally about to become a godfather his nephew is being baptized and you see the priest who's doing the religious rituals baptizing the child 
And at the same time, the movie cuts to the other scene where Corlone, who is becoming the godfather, if I can say, from a familiar point of view, and in church professing his faith in Christ, has organised the hit on five of his competitors. And they're about to be all executed. And the movie closes with the juxtaposition of this baptism while his competitors have been baptised in their own blood. And you see, Freud would have had a field day about how religion was being used to justify your behaviour. Now, that's an extreme example. But I see it all the time, where people will want a bit of religion to make them feel good under God. And we see people who will want to come and get their children baptised, is a classic example where they have no intent, really, of following the Lord Jesus Christ personally. They just want to get on with their lives and run it their own way, but they feel better about themselves. They psychologically justify their position in terms of how they live because they've got their child baptised. And you see, religion can operate that way. It can make you feel better about yourself and you compartmentalise your life while you go out and just live the way you want. And Freud would say that's what's happening with religion. Makes you feel better about yourself, you go and do what you want. That's the first one. Second one is Karl Marx. Now, similar to Freud, but he didn't think so much personally as societally. And he thought about religion from the societal point of view. And for him, religion was used to justify your nation or people or class. And you would use your religion to, if I can say, feel superior, morally, and it bred self-righteousness. And you could use that to exclude or dominate others. Now, his famous quote is, and I'll give you the full quote, it's on the screen at the end of it, religion is the sigh of the oppressed creature. It's the heart of a heartless world. And the soul of a soulless condition, it is the opium of the people. Now, it's worth saying, when he talks about opium, he's not talking in the sense of narcotics that we have today uh, with heroin. Opium back then was a painkiller. And so what he was saying is, um, the ruling classes use religion to kind of ease the pain of the people. And through that, control the people. And you can the manifesto for communism coming can't you now what's a modern example of religion being used at a societal level to control and exclude and dominate people now if i can just say before i mention the example i'm going to use if we have friends from america here uh, i do love you you're very welcome here but i do groan every time there's a presidential election and the way religion is used to justify candidates' behaviour. But more than that, a classic example was the Iraq War, where the Christian faith was used in part to justify what I believe turned out to be an unjustifiable war. And I'll quote you President Bush... As we struggle to defeat the forces of evil, the God of the universe struggles with us. 
And when he communicated the need for the invasion, it was cloaked in the language of Christendom. The forces of light versus darkness, good versus evil. God is on our side. Marx would have had a field day. Donald Trump apparently professes faith and is a Christian. Now that's an interesting one. Well, they all are, aren't they? And you see, that's what Marx is saying. Religion, well, it's just used to justify your nation, your people, your class. You use it to exclude others. It's a very powerful critique. Third one, Nietzsche. Uh, He's most famous for his statement, book, God is Dead. Not a great fan of religion. He came after Freud and Marx and he critiques not just religion, he actually critiques Freud and Marx. And he developed what you might call the hermeneutic of suspicion. And if I can put it this way, he looked at people who made claims, even Freud and Marx, with a squint. Do you really believe what you're saying? Because his critique of, if I can say, religion... And in fact, anyone who wanted to make absolute claims was this. You're not on really about love. You're on about power. You claim it's about love with your religion, but really it's about power. And any absolute claim is just a power claim. If you claim you're the one that has the truth, well, really it's just because you want to control And so he might ask the question, oh, you're on about love. Are you really? Or do you just want to control people? He looks with squinting eyes. Religion to him is about people making ultimate claims so they can control people. Listen to this quote. Sins are indispensable to every society organised on an ecclesiastical basis, in other words, where religion is central. They're the only reliable weapons of power. The priest lives upon sins. It's necessary to, to him that there be sinning. You see what he's saying? I've got to keep reminding you that you're sinful because then you need me. And if you need me, I can control you. And so religion is this system that has evolved, developed whereby those in charge can control those underneath them. If Nietzsche was alive today, he'd be having a field day in Australia over the church's response with the Royal Commission. What has been stunning, saddening, angering, has been when the church has been under the spotlight and... There have just been excuses. There's been uh, answers that have been avoiding responsibility where the church has on occasion stood behind a cone of silence. And I want to say it's reprehensible. Now, I draw some comfort in the fact that, and you may not know this, our Archbishop at the time of the calling of the Royal Commission was uh, Peter Jensen. And Peter has since been on the stand just recently. He was down in Tasmania and he missed a number of significant events, including Rod West, who was a a good friend of his, 
his funeral. And probably the nicest thing I can say is that there was no news. You probably didn't even know he was on the stand. Hardly anyone did. But we cannot take much comfort from that because, you see, at the end of the day, when the world looks at us, they don't say, oh, you're the Sydney Anglicans, not the others. We're just the church. And as you hear people in leadership positions, I don't want to name names, but some of the responses have been incredibly underwhelming. And Nietzsche would say, you talk about love. Do you really? It looks a lot like a power play where you just want to control people. And it's interesting how these critiques have played out in history. And I'm going to give you a fourth modern philosopher who I think all of you know. His name is Homer Simpson. Now, I say he's a philosopher because at the end of the day, I mean, sitcoms are very clever. They're written always the best at two levels. To entertain the kids, but also critique our society in a way that the adults can engage with. And there's no doubt that's what The Simpsons did. It is the most popular TV show in history. I don't know if you know that. Longest running, over 27 years. And the great philosopher Homer Simpson says this, Talking to someone, but you can see the critique of religion behind it. You make people miserable. There's nothing they can do about it. Actually, you're just like God. Hear what he's saying? God is someone who makes people miserable and you're underneath that control. There's nothing you can do about it. So why say no to religion? Because religion is used by people to self-justify and it breeds self-righteous people. Freud, because religion is used to make people and nations feel and act superior to others. Marx, because religion is ultimately a power play to control people and to use people. Nietzsche, or in the words of Homer Simpson, religion and God, well, it just makes you feel bad. So get rid of it. You might be sitting here today saying, well, Bruce, aren't you going to defend religion? You're a religious leader, aren't you? Yes, I am. I am the Reverend Bruce Clark. I do have robes in my office. I'm part of a denomination. But we need to hear what Jesus says. Because Jesus, as I said at the beginning, savagely, repeatedly and relentlessly critiques religion. And he did this to clear the ground, to understand the great difference between what is religion and what is the Christian faith. And if you've got your Bibles there, Luke 11 is where I'm going to read through and just make some comments. I'm not going to spend too long. It's worth saying, I could have picked a whole range of passages because there are so many in the Gospels where Jesus is critiquing religious leaders. This is probably one of the most powerful ones and extended versions. Luke 11 verse 37, when Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. Then the Lord said to him, Now then, you Pharisees, clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. Now Jesus, I think, he knew what was coming. He'd experienced this before. He doesn't avoid the conflict. He goes and eats with him, uh, such as his love for his enemies. And they were his enemies in the day. They wanted to kill him. He still goes and eats with him. And the Pharisee calls him out because he won't follow their religious rules. He won't come underneath their power and control. He just carries on with the way he always has. 
And the Pharisee questions him. And you get the response, now then you Pharisees, actually, here's the problem. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you're full of greed and weakness. You foolish people, did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But now, as for what is inside you, be generous to the poor and everything will be clean for you. I mean, you can just hear the critique of Nietzsche, can't you? You talk about love, but do you really love? Actually, no, you don't. You really have no concern for the poor. And then you get six woes. Now, when he says woe, he's not just saying, you know, have a think about it. He's saying, actually, you're in imminent danger of facing the judgment of God. It's a very, very heavy word. Woe to you, Pharisees. You give God a tenth of your mint and rue and all other kinds of herbs, but actually you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. You've got no concern for justice and people and actually loving God. Woe to you Pharisees because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplace. It's a power game for you. You just want to be seen and applauded. That's what you're on about. You're on about power and prestige. Woe to you because you're like unmarked graves which people walk over without knowing it There is no sense of spiritual life in what you're bringing to people. In fact, you bring death. Now, it's interesting. One of the experts in the law, not a Pharisee, a different religious leader, he goes, hey, teacher, um, we feel insulted also when you say these things. And Jesus said, well, if you want to pop your head up, I'm going to have a go at you too. Okay, teachers of the law, woe to you. Because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry. And you yourselves will not lift a finger to help anyone else. You can just hear marks there. You're controlling the people for your own sense. You don't want to do anything, you just want to use them. 47, woe to you because you build tombs for the prophets. And it was your ancestors who killed them. You're all just about control. The prophets came along and challenged your power base because they actually called you out for what was really happening. What did you do? You just killed them. 52, woe to you experts in the law because you've taken away the key to knowledge. I think this is the most devastating thing. You should have had the words of eternal life. But actually what you brought was death. You yourselves have not entered and you've hindered those who are entering. Jesus critiqued the religion of his day in a way that was brutal. He said they were self-righteous. He said they were hypocritical. He said, you're really just about holding on to power and using it for your own benefit and actually you're bringing spiritual death. So why not no religion? Well, Jesus would say because it's typically self-righteous people using it to build their own power base while using those underneath them for their own benefit and living a self-justified life to feel better about themselves. And friends, I want to say, religion, do say no to it. But say yes to the Christian faith, and in particular to Jesus. Because religion is about doing. It's about what we do to feel better about ourselves. It's about what you can do in my position to actually manipulate and control. And I don't want a bar of it. 
You can't do penance or good works or religious services in a way that will make you acceptable to God. You see, the reality is all of us are broken and flawed, myself included. But the Christian faith proclaims that there was one and there is one who is righteous. There was one and there is one who is powerful. And that one is the Lord Jesus and he left his throne of glory. He emptied himself of power. He submitted himself to the unjust rulers of the day. He was trampled upon by the religious and he died on a cross for our sins. And he says to people, come and follow me. Come and find life in my name. Come and have your sins forgiven. Receive me and walk with me. And that, my friends, is diametrically the opposite of what we call religion. Christianity is the, if I can say the word religion, is the only one that has a God who claims that he came to earth to be abused and to be trampled. There is no other religion that is like that. None. And I want to call us to say yes to him. Tori Amos is an American singer and she said these words, I can't believe in a God that people use to abuse others. I can't either. Friends, I feel very deeply about this one because you see, I walked away from the church when I was young because of the religion. I came back because I discovered Jesus and there's a world of difference between the two. A world of difference. Say no to religion, but say yes to him. Trust him, follow him. And when you do that, the message of the Bible and the testimony of Jesus' people is, he changes your whole life. Let me close with the words of John's Gospel. Speaking of Jesus, John wrote, he came to that which was his own, but his own, they did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And that, my friends, is who we proclaim. Let me pray. Father, we just thank you for the Lord Jesus. May you convict us when we lapse into self-righteousness, when we use Jesus to justify our own behaviour, when we claim cheap grace, when we think we are better. Father, forgive us for those sins, we pray this day. I pray for people here today who may have been affected by child abuse, that they would find healing and hope in Jesus. 
Lord, I pray for us as a church that we would never shirk repentance in this area, but that we would walk in the light. Father, may Jesus be real to every one of us and may we shine his light in this world, we pray in his name. Amen.